Welcome, welcome to the Heads Together podcast. (sighs) Now, there are moments in life where something very special happens. And this week has been one of those moments for me. My guest this week on the podcast is Joanna Penn. I'm sure most of you have heard of her. I don't think I need to do too much of an introduction. Joanna is an incredible author entrepreneur. She writes nonfiction for authors and she's an award nominated New York Times and USA Today best selling thriller author. For those books, she writes as J.F. Penn. She's also an award winning podcaster. Her podcast, The Creative Pen, is phenomenal how she puts out episode after episode at that level of detailed content. I just don't know. It's such an amazing podcast. I'm going to put all the links in the show notes, of course. Joanna's also a creative entrepreneur and an international professional speaker. The title of this podcast is The Author Ecosystem. And I think Joanna is just the perfect example of an entrepreneur who has built out an amazing suite of offers her own ecosystem around her books, her courses, her speaking, her different genres that she writes in, her podcast. You know, this is a very, very full fat version of a business right here. And I just cannot wait for you to meet her. She's the reason that I actually quit my corporate job. I probably sound like a complete idiot on this episode because I'm such I'm having such a fangirl moment. Seriously. I can barely string a sentence together. Honestly, I don't even think I can blame the menopause for this. But yeah, Joanna is actually the reason that I quit my nine to five because I bought a copy of her first nonfiction book, which was called Career Change. She now very much specializes in nonfiction for authors. But this first book that she wrote when she was transitioning from a consulting job and she wanted to really transition to do what she loved, which was her writing. And that is the book that absolutely gave me the confidence to start my first business. So it's really special for me to have Joanna join me on the podcast this week. And I'm very grateful to her for her insights for you, because I know many of you have publishing a book on your to-do list it's a goal for so many of my clients and for you, my audience. So I think you're going to get so much out of this week's episode. Let's dive in. Welcome, welcome to the Heads Together podcast. I'm Jill Mokes and I am obsessed with cutting through the noise when it comes to growing your business. Each week, via intimate coaching conversations and inspirational stories, I share what it really takes to get the results you want in a way that feels right to you. I am all about attracting higher ticket opportunities, building authentic relationships and creating the abundant, full fat version of your dream business. I mean, how many of us have beavered away creating a light version of what we really want? The thing is, I honestly believe when you're outstanding at what you do, there is no limit to what you can achieve. So, are you ready to put our heads together and make it happen? Let's go. Joanna, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, no worries. I'm happy to be here, Jill. 
Oh my goodness, this is so great. I've been ridiculously overexcited about this for a really good reason. And just before I hit record, I was explaining to you, wasn't I, about and and holding up proudly my copy of Career Change. <laughs> Which is a book you wrote back in, I think, 2008, the first yeah, version. Yeah, yeah, the first it? version I published in 2008. I sort of wrote it 2006 to 2008. And it was the beginning of my writing and publishing journey, really. And back in the days when I was an IT consultant and I used to implement SAP, maybe you or some of your listeners might know SAP software. I used to implement accounts payable <laughs> and banking. Uh, and I was like, I hate my job. I have to leave my job. But <laughs> they pay me so much money. How am I going to get out my job? <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I know you understand. Hostage by our salaries. Mm, For sure. Yeah, I started, I was like, oh, there must be a way out of this. And I used to read a lot of self-help and listen to a lot of American self-help audio and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I can figure this out. I'm a smart woman. Uh, So I thought, oh, I'll write a book on career change. It was actually originally called How to Enjoy Your Job or Find a New One, (laughs) which is a terrible title. Uh, But essentially, I wrote that book. And in writing it, I discovered I really enjoyed writing. And so I went down that path. But yeah, it's been a while. We're we're recording this in 2023. And I've been full-time since 2011. Goodness me. And what a career you've built for yourself from that first escape from corporate life. I mean, fiction and nonfiction, you're successful in both. And I know that I have a lot of your nonfiction books, and that's probably the part that I know you best for. One question I really wanted to ask, Joanna, was about how when you wrote that book and you were feeling trapped in a corporate job that you didn't love, did you actually believe that you could make a successful career as being an author Or did you just want to write a book at that point? Yeah, well, I knew I wanted to leave my job. I was making six-figure salary, so I knew I wanted to make a six-figure salary in a future business. But what I started to do was learn from other people. That was the early days when blogging really started to become a thing. I was in Australia at the time, so Pro Blogger, a copy blogger was in America, but um, Darren Rouse from Pro Blogger was in Australia, and Yaro Starak, who I learned from originally a little entrepreneur's journey. So these were sort of the early bloggers who were making an income online, and I could see that blogging could be a way to a living. I also joined the National Speakers Association. So I thought I could be a blogger, I could be a speaker. I didn't really think about books as a career, mainly because in 2006, the Kindle still hadn't been launched. And so really, the only way to get your books out there was still the old way of bookstores and traditional publishing, which I saw I just couldn't see a way to make a really good living at. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'll be a speaker, I'll sell my books at the back of the room. And so I learned, from people who were already entrepreneurs. And I know you talk to many people like that. And if, if people listening, this is the way to do it. Find models, find people you can model. And I was like, okay, if I can figure out how they are making a living, I can figure out how to do it too. And speakers are great. Like still, I think professional speaking organizations, Toastmasters is great, but that is an amateur group. Whereas professional speakers is about getting paid to speak. Um, so I was like, okay, I can see that these speakers make tons of money. Uh, so So I could do that. I could have my books. I could do consulting. I could do coaching. Like there's lots of different streams of income. So essentially, I just got started. (laughs) I just started doing things. And along the way, I've just learned new things. And then the Kindle arrived and eBooks and the mobile phone. I mean, the iPhone launched in 2007. So I've built a career on the back of essentially an internet 
trend and ebook trend and audiobook trend. And yeah, that, so that's kind of how I've done it and moved into writing more books because the business case became more viable. And now it is far more viable to make a living just from books as an independent author. It's still very difficult if you're traditionally published. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I guess I've just taken opportunities and learned along the way. And I think, I mean, I know that you are a real advocate for independent publishing. I actually think that the kind of dream of the traditional publishing is flagging now a little bit. I don't think people see that as the be all and end all if of the childhood dream of being a published author anymore. And I think that makes it so much more accessible for people to build it into more of a an entrepreneurial journey. And that I think is where you've been so clever in terms of all of the different revenue streams you have. It's never just been about writing books for you, has it? It's always been about other revenue streams. Did that also come from modelling what other people were doing at the time? Yeah, I mean, I think just coming back on the choice of being independent as a businesswoman who wanted to make more than six figures, <laughs> the independent route seemed the best way. Just for people listening, I can make 90% you know, 990%. And if you go the traditional route, you might be making 10%, maybe 25%, depending on the format, depending on the licensing and uh, the control that I have to do different things with my books. For example, I've sold books in, what is it, 175 countries now, which is kind of crazy. But in terms of multiple streams of income, I think partly, again, it's a personality type. I definitely like doing different things. And I turn that into income streams. So for example, I'm I use affiliate links in my nonfiction books. Like I know you've got several of them. So you will have seen like if there's a tool that I use, I will try and get an affiliate link. And if people don't know, that's if someone buys through my link, I get a commission on that sale. So it's really good because I don't need to do customer service. I don't need to do sales. I'm just like, hey, I use Scrivener uh, and you could use my link for Scrivener. And or I use this or I use that and this is my link. And it's all ethical because I use the things um, and I make money money that way and then I started podcasting in 2009 as a marketing avenue and then over time that that has grown into its own entire business stream really and as you mentioned the non-fiction is is a business really the fiction is a business they're all under the same limited company umbrella but they all make business amounts of income on their own so together they're like all these different little businesses and then my podcast my books they're all distributed on pretty much every possible platform I can distribute on I am doing that and all of those so I get payments from all over the place and then I have my own Shopify store creativepenbooks.com and I turn my intellectual property into as many streams of income as I possibly can and then just have it out there making money so to me, this is like an ideal one person because I'm a one person business. You know, I work with freelancers, but essentially I just try and set things up so that once they're out there, they're just bringing me money. They're like employees, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, you are the epitome of that work smarter. So you do one lot of creation. So for the podcast, you're doing creation of a, an episode of the podcast. But everything you do, every book you put out, every podcast episode you put out really earns its keep, doesn't it? Because of the work you've put into optimizing the business behind the scenes. And I think that's where some people get overwhelmed. But actually, what Joanna was saying earlier about pick someone to model, I think if people look at your model, it is so incredibly simple 
because it's not a really complicated business model the way you work. You've got online offerings and you've got an online bookstore and you've got your podcast. Whilst you've got this varied business model, none of it feels overly complicated. And I think some people do get overwhelmed when they try and piece together these different bits. Is that something that has just happened gradually for you over time? Or have you been really super strategic in having the end in mind when you started the business out? Well, when I started, I did have a goal, which was to leave my job and make a six-figure income. So everything I did, I did question, how can this be an income stream? So I always did have that in mind. Like I said, I've been doing this for over 15 years and I've been full-time for over a decade. And you know yourself, it feels like some days, like before we were talking, I was uploading photos of pages of my books into my Shopify store. And it's like, I'm sorry, I should get someone else to do this, but I'm I'm learning the Shopify system. So I learned WordPress back in the day. I still build on WordPress. I should say my degree's in theology. So if people are like, oh, but she must be so technical. It's like, uh, no, I have a degree in theology. I've learned all of this. I mean, everything I've done, I've learned along the way. I don't have a degree in writing or publishing or marketing or just, I just learn stuff. And we're living in an amazing time when you can learn stuff. But no, in terms of strategy, I guess I just always had that overwhelming thing of what I want to do is this. Also, when I was starting out 2006, 2007, that's when Tim Ferriss' four-hour work week came out. And I definitely work far more hours than I ever did in a day job. So I'd certainly say as you know, again, on, being an entrepreneur is not the four-hour work week. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the things he talked about in there was lifestyle design. I've still got on my wall, I want to write the books I want, when I want, and travel where I want, when I want. Basically, I like books and I like travel. That didn't work in the pandemic. But, you know, essentially, I, I wanted to have a, a lifestyle where I could travel and I like writing, I like reading, So that was it really. And I was like, okay, how do I design that life? Um, What I would say with with books is that books as a business, it's not an easy business for sure, because there are a lot higher profit margin products. So, you know, you like the top amount you might spend on a book might be like 25 quid for a nice hardback, or you might join a Kickstarter or something like that. But generally people don't pay much for books, whereas they pay more for consulting courses, events, that kind of thing. But I love books and I love reading. So I wanted to build my business around what I love. So that would be another tip for people. You can build a business around what you love, but it might not be the easiest route. It might not be the most profitable route. But if you want a lifestyle that you love, then maybe this is the way. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I think often the question that I ask clients is, well, how much is enough? Because sometimes I think we can chase the financial gain of the business, but actually we lose sight of why we started our own business in the first place. When I started my business, I I didn't think I was qualified to do anything. You know, I'd worked in commercial insurance for over 25 years. I started out as a VA because I thought, well, I know my way around a spreadsheet. I'm sure someone will hire me to help them do that. And that was as a result of reading your book, as I said. So it is completely possible to do that. But it's really easy too to lose sight of doing what you actually love and to end up building a a monster of a business that isn't reflective of what you enjoy anymore or what your purpose was in the first place. And you're right. I mean, there are lots of higher ticket offers that you can sell. A book isn't one of those, but it's part of the lifestyle you wanted. In terms of books as part of a wider business model, though, 
a lot of my listeners and clients are coaches, they're consultants themselves, and they would love to add a book to their kind of repertoire. They see it as that kind of key to speaking engagements and um, to doing other things, selling courses, having this wider business model, which why I was interested in that. In terms of the actual techniques of writing, would you suggest that people invest in learning that craft before they start actually getting their thoughts out around what they're an expert in? Or is it more important that they really focus on the subject matter that they want to write about and hire a good sort of writing coach afterwards? Which order does that come in? Uh, There's a lot of things in that question. (laughs) It's a very big question. That was a long question. (laughs) Um, Well, so I should mention I have a book called How to Write Nonfiction, which goes into all the different things that you need for that. But I would say before anyone does anything, you need to think about what do you want to achieve with this book? Uh, So we're talking about nonfiction. So what do you want to achieve? So you mentioned there someone who might want a keynote talk. So maybe they want to charge 20 grand for a keynote talk. So if you're doing a keynote on a topic, so first of all, that's a whole nother question, what makes a good keynote? But if you're trying to sell a keynote and then you're going to sell books at the back of the room, what book can you write that fits with a keynote that your target market wants to hear? So that will take you back in the process. So one of the biggest mistakes that people make is, okay, let's take you, for example, um, I was looking. So you you do business coaching for risk-taking, freedom-seeking entrepreneurs, right? Mm. But that could be a really big topic. So instead, you wouldn't necessarily write a book which is business for risk-taking, freedom-seeking entrepreneurs. <laughs> right. like it's, it, that could be loads of people. Is it that your audience are actually professional women who want like me like you and I are women who came out of highly paid professional careers who wanted to start their own business so that's a completely different audience so you would have a different branding a different look on the cover you would have different topics for example whether people have kids when they leave their career that kind of thing so that would be what I would say you need to think about what you want to achieve with the book you need to think about who the target market is and what topics they want to cover and also what you want to to do with that business. So you mentioned my book, Career Change. When I wrote that book, I thought that my career was going to be speaking to corporate women trying to escape the corporate career. Like that's literally what I wrote the book for. And then I decided actually I didn't want to do that. And so that book almost just stands alone now. I didn't ever do that at all. So that's quite interesting in itself. But what I do have now is a whole load of books for authors. So I have... Yeah, so much support for authors. And that's just um, the podcast, the Creative Pen podcast. But basically, and that's just come from as I learn things, I share them and then like how to market a book. I learned how about marketing and wrote a book about it. And so I have a whole ecosystem built for my target audience as for nonfiction. And I get speaking gigs and blah, blah, blah. So that's what you have to think. My recommendation is think of an ecosystem. So instead of writing one magnum opus that contains everything that you think, think about writing multiple smaller books aimed at specific topics. So for example, I've got, you know, like I mentioned, how to market a book or your author business plan or productivity and mindset. And so all of these different things. So I would say, think about writing different books that tackle different things. And then in terms of the craft, writing nonfiction is 
pretty easy to be honest <laughs> I would say especially with some of the tools that are around there we don't need to go massively into AI but you can clean up your writing very easily the main thing is to think about your audience and also bring your own personal experience into it don't write another copycat boring business book it has to be all about your journey your lessons learned and spin it in your way so people actually care I mean realistically Writing is not the hard thing. It's connecting with people and selling the book that becomes more of a challenge. Oh, but I have another tip, though, that will help people, which is you mentioned about learning the writing craft. The other thing you can do, it might be easier for people, is to dictate and then get that transcribed, either a human transcriptionist or an AI, like I use otter.ai for my transcription. Yes, I use otter. Yeah, so otter's great. And for many people who have a business, it's easier to transcribe and then edit than it is to start from a blank page. So that might be the way to go. A lot of people have slides or a course. Like I do quite a few books. I take a course that I've made and then I get the transcript and then I turn that into a book or I go the other way. Right. That is so helpful. So straight away, the first thing you said there, which was about sometimes it's easier not to go for this massive download of every thought you've ever had around your topic <laughs> as wide as you like, but actually break it down into small. And this is something I hear an awful lot from clients and from my audience, which is I'm overwhelmed. I've got so much that I want to say and I don't even know where to start. I can't even break it down into sense-making paragraphs. You know, I just don't know where to start. That straight away has resonated with me, the idea of it doesn't have to be this one book that's going to become your legacy forever. It can be more. And you also use the word ecosystem. And I think for business owners, that's critical, isn't it? So the ecosystem where you're really responding to what your clients or your audience want, and then building a business model around that, or certainly a suite of offers around that, which could include the book, but it could include a course, a podcast, you know, whatever that might be. That's amazing. And dictation is something that I've just come across in terms of writing. And it's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. I'm finding it so much easier to get thoughts out than I can when I sit down with a blank sheet. Yeah. And if people are struggling, they're like, oh, I can't talk like this. This is so weird. Then you could work with a coach like yourself or someone to come up with a load of questions or write yourself a list of questions like, okay, or if you have an audience already do a survey, this is a good tip as well. I do this quite a lot. It's like, uh, what are your biggest questions about self-publishing or what about writing? And, and then you just answer those questions. I mean, it's much easier to record if you're answering a question a bit like we're doing here, it stimulates your brain when you're asked questions. So that's a, another way if people are struggling, maybe have one session where you sit down and you write a whole load of questions for yourself or you research questions. I do a lot of research with other people's books. So I buy all the books on one topic and then use those to stimulate questions. And then I write my own answers to some of those questions. So it's in and bring my own spin to it. So it's really about how do you prompt your brain and then you can record it, like we said, and get it transcribed. And then editing, I find personally, even though I've written a lot of books, I still find the editing much easier than the writing from nothing. So even if you've got a transcript, you might delete most of that transcript. <laughs> but equally with AI, it's a lot cheaper than it used to be. And you can then go, oh, actually, that little nugget there, that's really good. I'm going to then expand that into something bigger. There is a resistance around the people that I 
work with and, and people in my world to be not perfect. They want every word that hits the page to be perfect. And I think that dictation part or the, and using the AI tools to edit that first draft and make a bit more sense, I think it's really liberating and it really helps people with that perfectionist outlook to be okay with getting a sloppy first draft out there to work from in the beginning. So I think that's so true. Mm, Yeah. And the point is that any book you read is not a first draft. And we stop ourselves because we read this, whatever book it is, and we're like, oh my goodness, I could never write that. And it's like, well, no, that person, that's not what that person wrote at the beginning. They went through a process to get there. So yes, you will. I mean, I work with professional editors still for every book. um, And I use like pro writing aid. I use loads of different tools as part of my writing process. But yeah, that first draft, especially when you're just starting, won't be great but that's okay because you can clean it up you need to edit you will edit it into something that you're happy with yeah absolutely and like you said sometimes it might be one nugget of a sentence that gets saved from the first page you know that carries through and that's okay that's fine Mm, for sure so One thing we touched on a little bit there was AI and there's, you know, everyone's talking about it at the moment. I love learning about it at the moment. I'm absolutely just blown away by chat GPT. I think I understand some of the nervousness around it, but it's incredible. I know a little of your opinion on this because obviously I listen to your podcast avidly. Just for the listeners today, where do you stand on this in terms of creatives and maybe some nervousness that people are feeling with AI coming into the picture? I think, as you said, once you try it, once you try ChatGPT, you're like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant. Um, I feel like most people who are scared right now are the people who haven't even tried it. (laughs) And it's free, everyone. So just go try it. I mean, like, for example, so just in general, I see technology as leverage. So I am a one person company and I make multi six figures a year. I have a couple of freelancers, but actually very few now, but I use a heck of a lot of tools. That And I see the ChatGPT, for example, is another tool. I'll give you one example. I wanted to do a press release for one of my latest memoir, Pilgrimage. Um, So I went on to ChatGPT. I was like, okay, this is the book blurb. Can you write me a press release for this type of publication? And it just generated a first draft. And I was like, okay, that's really good. Uh, And then I was like, okay, can you turn this chapter of this book into a Twitter thread? because I hate doing Twitter threads. It's such a pain. And it created me one with emojis and everything. (laughs) I had never thought of that. That's amazing. And another tip. So for example, if you want to use it to help you write a nonfiction book. So let's say you type in there, uh, okay, I want to write a book for uh, female entrepreneurs and in midlife who want to start their own business. Can you give me 15 chapter headings that might be appropriate? And it will give you 15 chapter headings. You're like, okay, I kind of like number two. Can you expand that into 10 bullet points that I could write with? Or can you expand this into 10 questions? Or can you turn that into a series of tweets? Or can you re write that as a Facebook ad? Or could you rewrite this as my sales description? There's so many ways you can use it for marketing. So look, even if nobody wants to use it to help you write, you can use it for marketing. And it's like a superpower. It really is. Um, But I would say, very importantly, you must, must, must check. So don't use it for any kind of, this is actually real. You need to check, rewrite. It needs to be personalized, put in your own voice. But think about it just as we're on 
the internet right now recording this and you you know I use um software to do all my podcast editing and my audiobook editing and all of that it's all software now I see all these AI tools as very similar is that they're just more leverage so I feel like I can create more books and make more money by leveraging these tools to expand my possibilities of what I want to create in the world so yeah I'm super excited <laughs> yes there will be problems but equally the same with the internet do you want to live without the internet with all its good and badness, uh, no, I don't. I mean, yes, of course, I do want to live. I'd stay alive. You know what I mean. But it's like, would we want to go back to pre-internet times? I really don't think so. I really don't think so either. Although I did have that as an idea for a um, book once, a fiction book back in back in the eighties. <laughs> back in the eighties, <laughs> you can write historical fiction about the time before the internet. But in terms of what I enjoy about living in this time in history is we get to use technology to do really cool things. And overall, I believe it is a net good for society. So, you know, a bit like with many of these things, fire even. Fire is both amazing and can hurt people like the internet can and like AI will. But overall, there will be legislation, there will be rules. But in the meantime, let's all be ethical and use it to in good ways to help people and to achieve the goals that we want to achieve. Absolutely. And let's all be part of making that happen, that ethical side of it happen. The more people that embrace it and use it in the way that you're describing, the more it will block out the people who have the darker intentions with it. And I really believe that. I think the more we embrace it, the more control we will have over, you know, how it's used generally. So one thing that I think is interesting about what you just said is that there's it's like a three layer isn't it it's like the idea is you some of the content prompt is the ai and then the finishing and the personalization at the end is you so it's like this little sandwich if you like and i think it's really important that you don't lose any of those three parts you're always going to have the initial spark of the idea that you're going to put in there but i think yeah i've been just blown away with some of the things it can come up with One thing you mentioned earlier that I'd love us to touch on is your Kickstarter that you did for Pilgrimage, which is your memoir, which I'm waiting on at the moment being delivered. And what was the rationale behind doing that for Pilgrimage? Well, a few years ago, I started a second podcast called Books and Travel. And I really wanted to talk to other writers who use place as inspiration. So obviously my creative pen business, uh, I talk a lot about, I guess, the business of being an author. But my fiction readers and memoir readers, travel readers, they don't care how I make a book or how we market a book. They literally don't care. They just want the finished product. And so I was like, I need to start another business around my fiction, around content marketing for my fiction. But also I knew that I wanted to write a travel book. I mean, all my fiction is inspired by my travels. So I've been to a lot of places and I get the inspiration for my ideas from traveling. So I started Books and Travel and that was 2019. I started it and then obviously the pandemic came along and that business essentially couldn't start. And then I also, given that we're women of a certain age, I hit menopause age and started having other mental health things happen as well in the pandemic. And for me, walking long walks, (laughs) so hundreds of miles walks helped me mentally and also physically during the pandemic and during this sort of period of perimenopause. And so I started writing about that. And 
essentially that turned into this memoir pilgrimage. Uh, it's based around three walks, multi-day walks, um, the Pilgrim's Way and the St. Cuthbert's Way in England, and then the Camino de Santiago, which I've wanted to walk since I was in my sort of late teens. So, and I finally made a promise to myself during COVID when I was really sick with COVID. I was like, I've said I would do this for a long time. I am now going to do it. And I did that 2021. And then I uh, basically, oh no, last Last year I did it. 22. Gosh, time. <laughs> 22. I finally did the Camino and then I finished that memoir, um, which I only realized that I'd finished it when I got back. I was like, oh, this is the meaning of all my walking. And that turned into a memoir. So I've never written a memoir before. A lot of my thoughts are in my fiction, but this as a memoir, it's very personal. It's uh, pretty dark in places. <laughs> but uh, essentially, I did the Kickstarter because I don't have an audience for a book like this. I, I you know I literally don't have an audience for a travel book, a travel memoir about pilgrimage. I mean, it's a very, very small niche. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I better do a Kickstarter because Kickstarter is a great way to reach a new audience, but also to make more money from a book in one go. And then I was like, look, if I can make some money and kind of pay for that book, but also reach people who want a special edition. So I've done this special hardback with photos. And I don't know if that, that's the one you've got, but it's just a beautiful book. I'm really proud of it. And yeah, so I feel like I wanted to do that Kickstarter for personal reasons, but also it made £26,000. So that was a really good uh, start for the book because, of course, now I can sell it. <laughs> Yeah, that, exactly. And I love that when you were talking about it, your goal was some was how much originally was your goal I originally? put one thousand pounds. That's it. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I really I didn't know if I would sell any. I mean, because I'm not a Christian either, and so I couldn't market to the Christian market. Christians enjoy the book, but it, I'm not a Christian, so it's more aimed at this random group of people who might like pilgrimage, who like walking, who like memoir, but are not Christians. <laughs> That's a very small target market. Now that is niche. That's what Seth Godin would call a purple cow. It is for sure. Super, super, super. But what's interesting is a lot of people either want to walk the Camino de Santiago or they know someone who wants to walk the Camino. And even if they're not religious, it's like something that people are drawn to. I think we can blame Paolo Coelho, who wrote a book called Pilgrimage back in the 90s, 80s, 90s. And so a lot of people want to do that. But yeah, it was a very personal project and one I'm really proud of. And yeah, so it's out there and it's just publishing in a different way. I'm going to do another Kickstarter next year, which I'll aim to be much bigger, which will be aimed at my bigger audience, which will be about writing from your darker side. It's kind of titled The Shadow Book at the moment, but uh, who knows what that will turn into uh, later on. Will that be a non-fiction book? Yes, that will be a nonfiction self-help kind of guide on how to yeah tap into that darker side and write the things that you might be ashamed of or embarrassed about or afraid of or that people tell you is not allowed or gosh yes you know writing darker things like when I wrote you can see on the video but my book Desecration when I wrote that book my mum was like you give me nightmares why can't you write something nice <laughs> That's such a mum thing to say. I know. Well, lots of people don't want to read darker <laughs> books, which is fine. But it's like, okay, so I write, I write mystery, crime, thriller, horror. If you read these genres, there's body counts, right? There's death. Death is a theme. But I don't write 
sex, for example, but death, sex, uh, these types of books tend to make people feel a certain way. And there's a lot of emotions around that. But equally, we're human. We we want to write these darker things. So I'm fascinated with that. It's something I've thought about a long time. So that's going to be my next Kickstarter, which again, it's an entirely new ecosystem and so I'm le- I'm always learning. I hope people can tell, you know, it's not like, oh, this is the one thing forever. You've got to be learning new skills. You've got to be pivoting into new ways of creating, like we mentioned with AI, but also publishing, reaching readers. Everything changes. <laughs> that's the only constant. Everything changes. Oh, that's fun. I'd be bored otherwise. <laughs> Me too. And I think this is such an integral part of your success has been your ability to embrace new technologies, new ways of doing things, not getting stuck in one business model, one way of marketing, one offer. It now looks like from the outside, certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but it now looks like when you do start another project, it's not so overwhelming because you've become very nimble for repeating this process of looking at a new project okay what's this right for kickstart okay I know about that or anything I don't know I'm just going to learn because like you say the beauty of the age we're living in now is nothing's off limit to us nothing is off limits we can learn more or less everything that we need to learn to complete a project from the internet. Yeah, I mean, it, it is hard work I mean that the kickstarter that I mean just writing and publishing that book to several years, which is the longest I've ever taken to write a book. But the Kickstarter took three and a half months. It was much harder work than I expected, even though I knew it was going to be hard because I was learning this whole new thing. But as you mentioned on my podcast, I've shared all my lessons learned and all the resources. So people can go find that if they're interested. I'm going to put a link to that episode in the show notes because it is a phenomenal episode. In fact, you'll love Joanna's podcast anyway. If you don't already listen to it, you soon will because every single episode I've got a notebook scribbling away and the kickstarter one is so good oh it's, it was epic it took me about three weeks to prepare that episode but this is the thing I mean another core for me is delivering value to my audience so of course anyone can listen to that episode for free but a lot of people support my patreon because of the value that I give on the podcast and I also do a Q&A. So I guess it, it's trying to keep delivering good value to your customers. I mean, that's all business is at the end of the day. It's like serving your audience in a way that also makes you happy. And so I guess I'll keep doing it and keep learning new things for as long as I can do the things I want to do and also serve my audience. And they are different you know my fictions under JF Penn and my non-fiction under Joanna Penn and I, I think I'll keep both of those it satisfies me to do both oh I hope you do I certainly hope you do and I'm gonna make sure I put links to where people can find you online and to your website one of the things I just wanted to um, say was that you have an amazing freebie on your website don't you which is the author blueprint Mm, yes people can go to thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint and yeah you'll get that hasn't been published that's like a separate resource and uh, or just have a listen to the podcast and yeah everything's there but I think because I've been doing this so long (laughs) uh, I pretty much I should know the answer to any question you can always tweet me at the creative pen as well Oh, I love that. Like a real person. (laughs) I am a real person, not an AI. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
Oh, Joanna, thank you so much for coming on today. And I know that I have lots of listeners with aspirations to write and to be published or to publish themselves. And they're going to get a ton of value from this, but also from all of the resources. You're very generous marketer. So like you say, you do give an awful lot away for free as well. So I will put links to everything in the show notes. And thank you for coming on. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Jill. This was fun. Bye for now. Bye. hope you enjoyed this episode and that getting our heads together this week has filled your mind with what's possible if you love the show would you do me a massive favor please would you leave a five-star rating on apple podcasts it would really help you put more heads together reach more ears and expand more minds until next week bye for now bye